0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging.
1: What I sort of see a journalist's job is, which is analyzing, but also synthesizing so much information and, and sort of putting it out there in a way that people can actually consume it, which is more and more, more, and more important as our lives just get busier and busier, don't they?
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Will Zabel is the Senior Journalist at The Crafty Pint and has been covering the ebbs and flows of Australia's craft beer industry since 2016. Today he joins me to enlighten us on the culture of craft beer and its place here in the land down under. Hey Will, thanks for joining me.
1: Hi Shantae, thanks so much for having me on, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's totally my pleasure. Will, in my opinion, you are my authority when it comes to all things beer, but I'd love to know how it all started. How did you get involved in writing about beer?
1: Yeah. um, So I guess I I studied history at university and um, it's it's one of those things, if you look back, I guess the seeds were sort of all being planted in one way or another, but I sort of didn't realise it at the time. I mean, I, I grew up in a Small hobby farm in South Gippsland, and my dad grew hops, um, and you know, just and home brewed occasionally and things like that. And my older brother certainly homebrewed as well. And I always drank beer, but I probably didn't have that much of an interest about it beyond something to drink when I was in my early adulthood. And while at university, I went on. I spent a semester in exchange in the UK. And that was just a sort of like a light bulb turning on in my head when I was going to these pubs that weren't actually ever very good and and were kind of, could be pretty rough places, but they'd always have this, you know, real ale, cask ale on tap. And and to kind of be, I'm like, I'm I'm sort of drinking in places that are probably not as great as the places I'll, I'll spend my time in Melbourne. But why are the tap lists here so diverse? And then after after that, I, I was in Germany as well, so that, that was another sort of light bulb moment. But but I think then coming back to Australia and seeing how, you know, I guess how uh, how how undiverse the sort of tap lists were in comparison, or or, or it seemed less interesting to me. And this was in about twenty thirteen. It made me decide to really sort of seek out. Beer in a way that I hadn't before. And I guess by this stage, Melbourne had its Good Beer Week, which was a week long festival and celebration of craft beer. And there were kind of these opportunities to sort of attend a lot of events and go to exciting things. And I I, I guess I sort of fell in love with the industry, (laughs) but at the same time, I was also finishing a history degree, which um, I, I did because I was passionate about history and I didn't really do thinking about any career outcomes. But uh, as I was graduating, the website I now write for, The Crafty Pint, put, put out a post or an ad or something saying they were looking for more writers and I pitched a few ideas about uh, sort of Australian beer history because I'd, I'd written a thesis on sort of modern Australian history and from there it sort of sm- snowballed into writing more general news stories and I guess, just covering the industry more widely. Uh, And here I am today.
0: (laughs) Well, we're so lucky to have you writing. Um, The Crafty Pint's an online magazine, and it launched in 2010 and remains independent, family-owned. It's a publication that is described as old-school journalism, so, you know, no sponsored ads or paid feature stories. I've always really... um, appreciated uh all the stories the honest writing the fact that you know you have objective descriptions of beers there's no scores you kind of you give people information and let them decide for themselves and it has been a tool that i've used um being a sommelier to just keep up to date and and i really respect what they do um so you're writing for them now and you've studied history which makes a lot of sense australia's come a long way in recent years on how we consider beer. Is there any beers in particular that have changed the face of the Australian drinking industry? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard not to talk about beer in Australia without sort of remembering how for such a long time that there were two big players um, that were mostly producing sort of similar, very similar lagers. And and all this time we did have Cooper's, which is a longstanding family run brewery focused on ales rather than lagers. So I think that sort of, you know, was a it it was such a lie for a lot of people. And I know certainly for myself, like when I, I was living in sort of the inner north Melbourne and and being able to go to pubs and drink something that was quite different. That was always really Exciting. So I think even though the Australian industry has come a long way, we did sort of, a a lot of this does sort of tail back. And um, I I think more recently it's hard not to think about a a beer like Stone & Wood's Pacific Ale just in terms of the fact that not only was it a runaway success and has it been a runaway success, but it's a showcase of Galaxy Hops, which was bred in Australia. Uh, hot variety bread in Australia, sorry, that um, it, it, it kind of put that agricultural notion of beer forward uh, in, in a way that maybe um, beer is often seen as a manufacturing pursuit. It often happens in cities, in industrial areas. So to be able to have a story like that, connect with people, I think is uh, really exciting. The the other thing I'll always talk about as well is uh, Bolters XBA because it, it certainly wasn't the first XPA or extra pale ale in Australia, but it uh, it, it it pushed that style so much, which isn't, I don't think people realising isn't kind of as present in other modern craft beer cultures, say, in America or the UK, in the same way that it's got this prominent position in Australia where a lot of craft breweries have uh, XPA in their core range where it's that beer that's normally paler than than a lot of pale ales or, or maybe IPAs and has more hops as well but isn't smack you on the face hops in the way that IPAs are and um, that that sort of not only that beer but I think that style is is a really uniquely an exciting Australian thing. It's also a mongrel that means you can sort of do
0: what you want with it so breweries can have that, uh, that whole lot of fun as well. Yeah, interesting that you talk about pale ale and i want to discuss a few of the major categories of beer in australia because you are a bit of a guru and can you give me a brief rundown on your maybe your thoughts on the style and maybe a couple of um you know descriptors on why they taste like they do because i think a lot of people drink beer they know what they like but they really maybe don't understand why those particular styles taste that way and why they enjoy them and now you talked about pale ales like you said, it is a bit of a mongrel because, you know, a lot of things can fit into the category of pale ale. But what, what, what is pale ale?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I always think brewers should uh, sort of brew with style rather than to style is kind of how I like to think about it. But pale ales are normally, you know, uh, some malt character, I, I guess a certain amount of hop characteristic in a in a sort of modern Character, which those hot uh, characteristics are normally on the fruitier end, whether it's uh, citrus or tropical, or um, uh, the, I guess those are <laughs> the main two. And um, while still having a bit of that, maybe malt backbone or, that um, provides a bit more body, chewiness, um, and 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 sort of uh, biscuity notes and things like that, and then you kind of, it, it's kind of easiest to think of these things as continuum. You might have a pale ale in one corner, XPA maybe is the middle area, and then IPAs, which, you know, IPAs are sort of everything all at once turned up to 11, where it's bigger hop notes, potentially a paler body, but not always. And and oh, it, traditionally, a yeah, sort of smack you in the face bitterness rather than um, uh, in that sense. But they, they've sort of moved into a more sort of hazy... Uh, category where uh, the yeast uh, I mean hazy hazy's hazy's big and five years ago hazy beers were uh, thought of as a bit of a trend or maybe a blip but uh they, they've sort of been around the whole time I writing about beer really and and they're certainly not going any I, I suppose the, the characters you're getting out of there those where people talk about juicy notes or really hot lead notes it's a, it's all about an interaction between the uh yeast and the hops, I'll, I'll drop a big science word that hopefully you won't ask me to explain, of biotransformation, which is kind of those two interacting with each other to create those fruited notes while still having a maybe soft pillowy mouth mouthfeel, uh, which I think is what, what a lot of people are looking for, you know, turning away from that bitterness of a traditional IPA and a lot of traditional hop-led beers and instead having something with a really smooth landing, smooth, fresh, juicy landing. Um, yeah uh they're 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 big though Uh, people people have long thought that hazies wouldn't happen because once upon a time if you brewed a hoppy beer that was hazy you made some kind of horrible mistake at some point along the way but uh now people accidentally make hazy beers that are clear and uh have to sort of wonder what's gone wrong
0: yeah i think we we've really come a long way in terms of what something looks like in a glass and judging it uh or judging a book by its cover and 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 now you know judging it, it it for its merit on the other corner talk to me about lagers what kind of place have they played in the australian landscape and and, and why does a lager taste like it does
1: well yeah i mean they were yeah like lagers were basically what everyone drank for a very long time in australian beer drinking history and then when craft beer kicked off everyone sort of turned away from it but now definitely people are switching back on i mean Lagers, it's it's really all about, to my mind, if we're talking about pale lagers, and again, it's, a, it's such a huge school, but pale lagers should be crisp, uh, fresh, drinkable, maybe a touch of bitterness on the back of the palate. It's all about the subtle hot notes rather than the smackier in the face hot notes. Um, the European ones are generally quite floral, quite spiced um, flavors. Um, I kind of like to think of lager as a bit like vanilla ice cream. I've started this metaphor and I'm not quite sure it will work out, so bear with me. But you know, you, you grow up and <laughs> vanilla ice cream might not be something you'll buy because you think it's plain and that's, you, you know, it's kind of the plain flavor. And often cheap vanilla ice creams are no good, but then you you have a, I won't use any brands here, but you have a, you, you buy a more expensive vanilla ice cream from a very good ice creamery. Maybe they're making it on site and it's, you kind of go, ah, this is why people love this. This is not actually flavorless, it's full of flavor. It's just done in a more nuanced way than my chocolate mint. That I've been maybe even wasting my time on now that I can see the light of beers like this. I think in craft beer world, you know, um, lagers, particularly Pilsner, which originate from uh, the Czech Republic and Pilsen region, um, generally a bit bit more forward on those those uh, still nuanced tops, but those sort of floral spice top notes, a bit more bitterness as well, dry less sweetness that we find in the German style lagers. Th- those are uh, those are a big focus for for brewers in Australia now. And I think they've long been a brewer's beer lager, but now people are sort of catching on and it's because they're drinking really fresh, really well-made expressions of this style. That's capturing people. I don't think people talk about like lager renaissance and things like that. I don't think we're, we're, maybe we are in the middle of the one I suppose the re- renaissance went for a very long time didn't it but it's 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 something that's bubbling away and building a lot of excitement in um a, for a lot of drinkers and for a lot of brewers I mean the champion uh independent beer a few months ago which is a competition run by the independent brewers association white Rays lager um won that competition and I I remember drinking it and I was just like, wow, this, I just want to drink a pint of this all the time, which is what a good lager should be for sure. <laughs> this is just something you could give it to me at any point in the day and I would just be so happy.
0: Oh, I get it. I get it. The lagers with the flecks vanilla bean, they're a kind of off-white colour, they're sold in a smaller tub and they're absolutely r- ridiculously delicious compared to those, you know, Stark white, larger tubs of vanilla ice cream. I I totally get the reference, and it makes sense.
1: <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I
0: was worried that I it might have lost some people there, but fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we stuck with it. <laughs> and now, talk to me about sours. Um, I, that's probably a question that uh, in a restaurant I would get often asked. Um, what, what is going on with these sour beers and why are people trying to flog them off to me? I don't want to drink them. I mean, I, I appreciate everybody's palate um, and I think that sours are confusing for a lot of people. So can you give me a bit more clarity on, on what's happening with sours?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're definitely like, there's no doubt about that. They are the most controversial beer style. I think you'll find like some people love them, some people hate them. Some people, I, I hope, you know, start off drink, drinking them and hate them and then by the end of it love them as well. Um, I, I think they're, they're potentially one of the few beer styles that can really do that, sort of um, enact a change in someone's thinking between the top of the glass and the bottom of the glass. But um, I, I guess there, there is a, it's the same as any style. There's a... There's a wide variety out there. I I, I guess the more controlled, the most controlled method of souring, which is often called kettle souring, that's about adding a very specific type of um, agent to your brewing. It's done quickly, and and that's often you'll add a fruit in there as well, whether it's mango, passion fruit. They're they're the big ones we see (laughs) over and over again. Actually, mango and passion fruit, and and they're the beers that I think have um, taken up tap points in a lot of Pubs now maybe even replaced ciders where it's it's still a beer, you know maybe three and a half percent. People drink them by the pint. They're refreshing. They might they might um follow the Berliner Weiss method, which is a more uh, which obviously <laughs> originates from Berlin, or Gozers, which originate from a different part of Germany, which have a bit of salt in there as well, which I think really adds to a nice um sort of mouth watering nature there, but. Yeah, I guess that's the sort of quickest, easiest um, way to make a sour. Uh, then you might think of it more as a more controlled method with uh, mixed fermentation, where you're still sort of adding a mix of cultures that you know and you've isolated, and whether you've sort of pulled them from another beer you've made or maybe someone else has made, and you, and then something you've purchased, a yeast maybe you purchased as well, and you're kind of throwing them in together to. Uh, create something that's a bit more funky. People often say barnyardy, which in in the world of wine is probably something people don't want to hear too often, but it uh, can be a huge thing in the world of beer. And, yeah, you're talking about sort of lactic acid and uh, Britannomyces, yeast, and uh, potentially other beasties sort of getting in there to drive flavour, textural mouthfeel, um, and often these beers spend in Time in barrel to get the porous uh, nature of the environment. So, so, those kind of things can really go to work. And most extreme of all, which still very few Australian brewers are doing, are, I guess, are your wild spontaneous beers, um, which sort of in modern terms relate to uh, Lambics in Belgium, most specifically, where you sort of you brew the beer, you put it out somewhere, and it uh, gets infected by whatever in the natural um, environment to uh and then and then you sort of see what happens over a period of many months many years uh i know you've spoken to ashley Huntingdon in um two meters tall recently that's uh he's one of the few who have been doing it for a very long time in australia um lasserine as well that they do a mix of mixed a mix of mixed culture beers but also have a cool ship of their own which is the sort of tank where you uh the beer cools down and it's infected by the environment, uh, infected in inverted commas, I guess, to uh, grab a lot of the environment around. And, um, you know, these beers are really a ultimate expression, I think, of tour because they're sort of a drinkable expression of of, of how they were made and, where, and particularly the environment of where they were made. True Lambic can only be made in a certain region of Belgium because the qualities of that air yeah, only mean, exist there in the, in the same way that champagne is yeah, champagne everywhere else. It's sparkling.
0: Yeah. I think that when we talk about, you know, these certain styles and then levels of quality as well, what are the countries that are kind of the leaders of styles that we look to are in Australia or have we come so far now that we don't need to kind of hold other countries up on a pedestal in terms of, of their production?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always worth going to Germany and drinking a Hefeweiss and a wheat beer in a German beer garden to really understand it, I think, because drinking beer isn't just about production. It's also about the culture and the environment we drink it in and uh, to, to sort of use that example as one, you know, last time I was in, I don't really like traditional wheat beers, but last time I was in Germany, I drank so many of them and I went, this is great. I understand this so much. This is all I want to do. I want to have a pretzel next to me. I want to be in a beer garden. I want to have a litre of wheat beer and I want to read my book, which probably speaks more to my own personality than anything else. Um, <laughs> Everyone else is uh, catching up, but uh, then I came back to Australia, and you kind of you, uh, I kind of go, oh, I don't know what that lip is. I, I, maybe I haven't bought one <laughs> since, but but you do sort of get caught up in that culture. So I think it's always worth to sort of you know, Germany makes great lagers, Czech Republic makes great lagers, Belgium. If you want to understand lambic it's important to go to these breweries and places and of course it's the same with America which is is more about the modern craft beer culture but I do think it'll be interesting like I'll I'll be hoping to be in America next year to sort of trial it out but certainly last time I was in the UK drinking a lot of craft beer I was kind of like okay British craft beer is probably similar to where Australia is and I've drunk some great beers here I've drunk some not-so-great beers here. I've drunk some beers that clearly have faults in them, and that's similar to Australia. And I think Australian brewers, as an industry, and, and beer drinkers, we can still have a tendency to look to places like America to kind of feel like we've got to pull out a lot of the craft culture. But, you know, the Australian wine industry was awful for a very long it <laughs> was not very good for a long time, and now it's regarded across the world at certain regions, certain types, certain producers. It, it's, and the same with Australia's food quality as well and our bar scenes. Like it, it, Australia, for whatever reason, I think our agronomics kind of come into it, our ability as natural producers, we tend to take to these things pretty quickly when there's an effort involved. And I think Australian beer quality is, yeah, really high at the moment. Um, we still pull a lot from other countries, and I think we should because that's what kind of makes Australian, the Australian beer industry really exciting at the moment. We don't necessarily have a, a tradition in the same way that Belgium or Germany does, and it means we can do whatever the hell we want, and that's I couldn't think of anything better than that, really.
0: Yeah. I totally agree, and and for that point, you know, a lot of these countries have been doing this for a lot longer than we have, and and as a melting pot, you know, like you said, we have the ability to to look to them and then uh, do whatever the hell we want because um, you know regulations allow it us to.
1: Yeah, exactly, and also you know we've there's some really exciting Australian bread hops. Um, uh, out there that the other countries in the world are excited by and and like to drink Australian beers to sort of understand a bit better. Um, we've got really exciting developments in the, in the world of barley. I mean, we've we've always grown great barley, but now we've got small scale malt houses turning it and being able to produce it, and only craft breweries and only small distilleries are their customers, and they're able to really work sort of hand-in-hand hand with the Australian industry to, to produce some, some really exciting stuff, um, which, yeah, I, I, I'm, I could sort of hang on about all day because, yeah, beer, I think it's compared to wine, we, we, we see it as manufacturing so much when it's, um, it's very much an agricultural product. Sure, we can make it year-round and we can sort of transport malt and make it anywhere, but if you don't have those fantastic building blocks then then I don't think you you don't get very far at all
0: yeah I couldn't agree more how interesting talk to me about the good old Australian tinny you know it's had a, a unique place in our in our culture um, and we've seen a bit of a revival of, of the aluminum tin um, what's your thoughts about drinking out of a tinny uh,
1: well I, I like it, <laughs> you should always drink your beer out of a glass, I think, if, if we're going to be proper, um, you know, that helps push the aromatics out, you've got a wider space, you can, you, you can smell the beer better, you can look at the beer, you can taste it, but yeah, we, we have, I mean, I, I rarely buy beer in bottles because it's less convenient. And I think the tin is is a great vessel for storing beer. It, it gets rid of any issues of light strike. Um, it gets cold quicker. It's easier to transport, therefore better on the environment, at least from that perspective. It's um, less w- once the the tin lid comes on. There's no oxygen coming in there. So so particularly for fresh hoppy beers, it's um, it's as good as it gets. And There's, you know, there's nothing better in the world than that sound is there of tin cracking. I I think if you blindfolded me, I'd still be able to tell the difference between a beer being opened and a can of soft drink. I'd I'd hope no one would ever test me on that, but I feel like there would be something in the essence that uh, makes it makes it a different
0: sound. Oh, 100 percent. I'm so glad you mentioned it, because I think the audible part of we don't often think about that in enjoyment, but the tinny is the perfect example of. Just mouth-watering deliciousness as soon as you kind of hear it, and I think that um, yeah, I think that that's it's a huge part of enjoyment, and uh, yeah, I'm completely in love with that sound too. And I think we should do yeah, we drink the blindfold. Like our ears and our eyes. <laughs> yeah, we definitely yeah. do. <laughs> Tell me, um, how does the Australian beer drinking culture kind of compare to the rest of the world? If you were to sum up how we drink beer and how we enjoy it these days, what would you say?
1: Look, it's. It's a social drink everywhere, I think. So even though from the outside it might look different in other cultures, it's genuinely still about people sort of gathering for a good time. I mean, maybe, yeah, in Belgium they they sort of have a bit more reverence for how beer and food go together, at least compared to how we did differently. But, you know, I I went to sort of beer-dedicated cafes in Belgium and. Drag my mates there, and we were kind of in these places drinking the beers you're supposed to drink, and you're kind of in a room, and the only other people who in america who who are in there are from America and maybe the UK and they've probably all come there because they've looked at the same beer nerd website that I've looked at, whereas the best times I had there was sitting on a street watching the world go by, drinking yes, it's still a very delicious beer out of a very nice glass, but um th- those are kind of the better moments. There's the same, you know, in Germany where we we sort of it's all about people gathering together and, and that's still how Australians enjoy beer. And I think is um it it's sort of the social lubricant and the conversation sort of flows around it. It can be about the beer sometimes, it doesn't have to be. It's, I, if I'm in the room it's often floats between the two. But um yeah, it's kind of, it, 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 to me, it's it strikes me as such a universal drink and surprisingly how sort of universal our enjoyment of it is if you sort of maybe take away those superficial differences. And it's the same thing, like, you know, every country has its problems with alcohol as well. Like uh, people sort of talk about Germans as being uh, sort of, deferring to be a bit more, having a bit more of a nuanced understanding and maybe they do, but I've been to like beer festivals in Germany where people are drinking mojitos out of Steins and then jumping into rivers, like which, which isn't too different to, <laughs> <laughs> to what we might see in Australia during, I don't know, schoolies or something like that or a box party.
0: Mm. Yeah, you're right. For some reason I think that we tend to think maybe we're just a little bit more bogan about it, but we really do see it everywhere in the world, don't
1: we? Yeah, and it's, it's easier to dislike the things you dislike about your own culture because you recognise them. At the same time, I was probably at that same beer festival more annoyed when I heard an Australian accent than I was by seeing a group of young Germans do dumb things because for some reason that's more embarrassing to me than uh, uh, than seeing someone clearly just be too drunk. Yeah.
0: Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, you received the Best Media Trophy at the Australian International Best Beer Awards. What was it like to receive that kind of recognition?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, it was um, it was mind-blowing. I, I still remember getting up on stage and I, I don't think they, I think that was the last time they got someone to speak having won that award. So maybe that says a bit about my speech, <laughs> but I was, I, was certainly, <laughs> um, I was certainly speechless. Um, I hope the words uh good thing I don't have to use words for a living didn't come out at all. But no, to be recognized, um, particularly that was that was several years ago now. So sort of early on in, in me sort of picking this as something I thought uh should be my career or, or, or could be my career, I was kind of still coming to terms with that at that point. Um, definitely that made me feel like I was on the right track, I think, and um certainly uh gave me a lot of sort of self-confidence to go forward, which is why you went out those things, I think, to get the feedback, but to also hopefully get the sort of some kind of recognition as
0: well. Mm. You certainly have a a unique voice. I think that your personality comes across in your writing, but at the same time, like I said, you really... um, particular about how you express information and it, it's really um, apparent that you really want the best for for the industry. And I just love, because I think that, like you said, you, you your honesty and your down-to-earth nature really comes across in your writing, but then um, you're not, you're really objective as well, which I, I love. So, uh, I think your writing's fantastic and um, I can't get enough of it. So, well done to you.
1: Thanks. Thanks. That's, uh, that's lovely to hear. Yeah, I always... I, I guess when when criticism needs to happen, it needs to happen or you need to sort of shine a light on something, I'll, I'll never walk away from that. But also at the same time, people like to have a laugh and have fun, so hopefully that, that comes across as well. Like I think if we can sort of distill information, whether it's for people who are in the industry or uh, starting in the industry about to start or just the general consumer, whether they're you know buying the newest release beer every single week and completely sort of tapped into the beer ecosystem or they just want to know what a beer is. It's, it's potentially hard to reach all those people, but I think sort of humour and maybe a bit of pop culture and a bit of lightness can is, is sort of the way to do that, or at least... What I sort of see a journalist's job is, which is analysing but also synthesising so much information and and sort of putting it out there in a way that people can actually consume it, which is more and more 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 important as our lives just get busier and busier, don't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and then, you know, there's always a platform for... um the nitty gritty and, and pulling things apart and, but uh, if you can't, if you can't get pleasure out of, you know, doing some reading or, or, or hearing about the latest updates, then I, I feel like there's no point. So I think you, you nail that part of it. I want to know what's, what's exciting you um, in the beer culture or the beer industry right now? Yeah. Um, look, I,
1: I, lo- I love how, at how many speeds the sort of industry is running, you know, beer, Bigger uh, independent breweries are getting quite big now. They're getting these sponsorship with football teams and kind of things you might not have imagined several years ago. But then there's breweries that are exciting people that don't really sell beer outside their four walls. And, you know, some breweries are kind of doing everything, but you know, there's there's a number of breweries in Australia that just make lager or just make wild beer or mixed culture beer, like i think that really speaks to the health of the industry um that that these kind of movements and 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 there's so many speeds going on at once that that it's able to at least from the outside it seems that they're able to sustain each other or oh, sustain, sustain themselves sounds uh, really exciting in a more in a more very specific note i i recently lacerine have been making saisons and those kind of beers, uh, which is the farmhouse style beer, you know, they make very elegant, very delicate beers and have been doing it for more than a decade now. But uh, their, their tap room recently opened in the Melbourne suburb of Alphington. I visited a couple of weeks ago. It's, um, if you want a really hot tip, they have a cocktail list made with their beers as a ingredient. And I was with a group and we ordered all of them and they were I still can't stop thinking about them. They were so good. There was a Negroni made with a sort of one of their Flanders Red style beers. I had a whiskey uh, cocktail that was used some of their cool ship beer to give it a real, this real tang at the end. Um, someone had a margarita as well. I can't remember what went into that. But in terms of uh, if, yeah, that is uh, that is such a great place to drink delicious drinks. Definitely go there for the beers, but do not miss the cocktail list there.
0: I love that because I think often when it comes to, you know, license to mix, you're always worried a bit about offending somebody, you know, popping, I don't know, some wine into a cocktail or doing something else and making a mixed drink. And I think that at the end of the day, if you're making something and you're consuming the product and you enjoy it, that's the most important thing but you do worry a little bit about if their integrity is going to be hurt so the fact that they do it themselves uh kind of creative license for everybody i love that
1: yeah yeah i'm a big i'm a big lover when uh mix their own beers and pour them as well there's a uh, you, you know like a good old-fashioned black and tan or something a stout mixed with a pale ale those, those kind of things um white bay which i mentioned earlier their lager with their dark bills. uh sorry their La- Pilsner with their dark lager mixed together—it's a—it's uh, a thing of thing of beauty as well.
0: Sounds delicious. I haven't had a black and tan for so long.
1: We should all mix our drinks more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a reminder that you know what's what sort of old is new again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, what's one fad or trend that you wish would just get in the bin at the moment? Ooh, fad or
1: trend.
0: Look. Even though I spoke
1: at length about vanilla ice cream before, I, I really don't have much of a sweet tooth. So sort of sweeter pastry, you know, beers that are sort of replicating desserts, um, big stouts with big flavours in them, they they elicit a lot of fun in people and I'm all for fun. But personally, they're not something I really I've never quite worked out when I would want to drink them. Even when you drink one and you go, mm, that tastes exactly like a Rocky Road. They have done this perfectly. I still go, w- when do I want this? <laughs> I guess with Rocky Road. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, like I said, I don't have a sweet tooth. So, so that's just me personally. If, if you love sweet things, there's never, never been a better time to um, be a sweet beer drinker.
0: You know, I think I can answer that question. I'm not a sweet tooth either, but I think I can answer that question of when is it? And you know what? It's at Christmas time. I find that even in the wine world, um, wines that are over overt and big and rich or all that added level of sweetness, it tends to be at Christmas time when people don't have a measure of... I really like it. enough's enough. It's like indulgence on indulgence. I'm having a nap at midday anyway, so just bring it.
1: <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, and that's true. Again, it's kind of one of those things like uh a- our Christmas food is sort of all wrong in Australia, isn't it? because we're in the we're getting into summer um, but but if you're going to uh, drink a big dark beer in the middle of summer it might as well be on Christmas Day.
0: Yeah. And then it's just once a year. So you think, well you know there's a time and a place, maybe it's not 24 7 all calendar year, but maybe maybe the one month.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly.
0: Will, I wanted to know if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life. What are they going to be and why?
1: Okay, so one would have to um, – I'm sort of wondering if I should name breweries or not because – but, yeah, so one would definitely be a Pilsner, and i would I'd shout out um, in particular uh, Foreigner Brewing, which is a tiny brewery in Brunswick, which is a suburb I live in in Melbourne. It's only open on weekends. It's run by two Czech expats. Their pilsner they designed with a mate who used to work at Pilsner which literally invented the style and it is just a delicious, delicious lager that I could, you know, I, I, I often drink every weekend and I could definitely drink that until the end of time. Uh Another, one would have to be a West Coast IPA. I don't know which exactly, maybe Hawker's Hawker's Beers West Coast IPA, you know, something clean, big, hoppy and bitter. Um, I I find those kind of beers so refreshing. And third, I'll I'll have to go with my all-time favourite cocktail, which is Negroni. Um, Yeah. Those are all three uh, drinks sort of normal for their bitterness, come to think of it. So maybe that says a bit about me.
0: Yeah, but I think that they're also all drinks that you can see yourself having at different places with, at different times and with different moods. So I can see your kind of thought, thoughts behind that, definitely.
1: But also they work well as you could sort of start on the Pilsner and then have the the Negroni before dinner as well and then maybe have the West Coast with your meal. I I think they're very different, but they could also tell a bit of a story uh, over the one evening.
0: Yep totally understandable. Uh, Will, I've loved chatting to you. I could chat to you all day long. So hopefully we can make this uh, more of a frequent thing later down the track. Thank you for your patience, also your knowledge and sharing it with me today. And, you know, uh, thanks to the Crafty Pint. I'm such a big fan, like I said, and I just, they keep me excited. They keep me updated. Um, The app is amazing. So I'm just being... Myself, not uh, not sponsored here or anything, but I, I adore them, and I think that <laughs> no, they, yeah, they're killing you. it. That's they really a,
1: are. It should be in your life. <laughs> oh, you've, you've you've sold it better than I could. Um, so thank you so much, Shante. It's been an uh, absolute pleasure to chat, and uh,
0: yeah, absolute pleasure to be here. I'll, I'd love to do this again. Definitely, and uh, hopefully we can have a frothy sometime soon together. That would be wonderful. Thanks so much. We'll have a great rest of your day. Cheers to you. Thanks, Shante. See ya.